Welcome to the broadcast of the First Baptist Church in Riverton, Kansas. We're so glad you joined us today as Pastor Aaron Williams shares a timely message from God's Word. At FBCR, the vision is to first and foremost build the church on the solid rock truth of Jesus Christ. Second, to see people saved and set free by accepting Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior and then following Him in believers' baptism. Third, we want to develop fully committed disciples of Christ who will grow spiritually in their faith and worship Him in spirit and in truth. And finally, to send an army of believers into the world as missionaries, sharing the gospel with those who don't know the Lord. Jesus is the rock that won't move. His word is strong and powerful, and his love can never be undone. Now with today's message, here's Brother Aaron. Amen. If you have your Bible with you, would you please turn to Isaiah chapter 61. I've started what we call a reaction of Jesus teaching. And this is basically the reaction Jesus had to life circumstances. And so today I want to begin to minister. And I don't think that we can really know where we're at. We cannot have the barometer of the scripture without Isaiah chapter 61. I'd like to read verse 1 and 2. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captive and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of the vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn. This was the reason Jesus Christ was anointed to come into the earth, was to touch all of these situations. So as we look at the reaction of Jesus, we're going to have to first look at the reaction of God and sending Him to the earth and anointing Him. So God sent Christ to touch the broken, the hurting, the dying, the bound, those that mourn. This is what His His radar was looking at. He was on, on a lookout for those who are bound, hurting, broken, captive, in prison, in trouble. This is what Christ was anointed to do. When we think of anointing and the Spirit of God's work, we think of it as Christ. He is the anointed one. He is, and if you are born again and you are, have come to the cross of Christ to be crucified with Him, nevertheless live, then you are then a, a vessel where Christ, the anointed one, can move through you. This is the reason that the workings of Christianity are to go to these areas. It's not to try to see what kind of a church or a name we can make for ourselves. It's not to become a civic, uh, elite group of people who turns their nose up at the troubles and the broken of this world. But it is absolutely to humble ourselves before God who forgave our sin at the cross and then allows us an opportunity to be the kind of vessel continually serving and humbling and praying for one another and loving one another to the degree that Christ, as God's Son, in the vessel, in you and I, do you not know Christ is in you? You are the temple of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says. So He wants to work with you. He's seated in heaven as the head. You're the body. He needs to use His body today. I believe He is using His body. And I want to say, especially uh, for those who listen who are not a part of the church here at Riverton, we have seen some miracles, church. We are seeing the miracles of Jesus Christ. And not because men name themselves anointed... 
but because Christ was anointed. Not because men would glorify preaching or worship services. Nothing wrong with either. But we glorify God and then He does miracles among the people. And I think if you're listening by radio, you say, what does that look like? I'll tell you what it looks like. It means that marriages can be put together. It means you can pray in secret and God reward openly. It means if you're sick that you can actually believe the Scriptures. That we should quit trying to preach enticing words of men's wisdom, but give the demonstration through serving and coming to the altars in prayer and the place where only God hears. And then when He rewards us openly, there's a joy that's unexplainable. So we see what Christ was anointed for, to go to all the broken all and touch every bit of it. This is why he had huge multitudes. Last week I preached on the 4,000. The, the few days before that, or weeks possibly, they had fed 5,000. They were all broken. Lame, blind, halt, the whole bit. I pray God fill up a church with halt, lame, blind, broken, imprisoned captives, and then give to them the medicine of the balm of Gilead, the gospel of Christ, and let them bow their knees to the one that's exalted forever and ever and ever and ever. See, I'm not just here preaching today in the pulpit because this is some idea. This is because God reigns supreme, and heaven and hell is real. And there's a day when we will glorify Him for all the things that He allows us to see. Okay, I've got to settle down. They tell me that I do. <laughs> Can we read some more scripture? And this will be our text today. If you have your Bible, please open to Mark chapter 9. We'll be reading from verse 14 through verse 29. It's fairly lengthy. I pray that you would give an attentive ear. Every bit of this matters. Every written word on the pages of the Bible matter. Mark chapter 9, verse 14. And when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them and the scribes questioning with them. And straightway all the people, when they beheld Jesus, were greatly amazed and running to him, they saluted him. And he asked the scribes, why are you questioning them? What's going on here? The scribes have the disciples cornered. And now Jesus is saying, hey, why do you have them cornered? Verse 17, and one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I've brought a son. I brought my son with me, which has a dumb spirit. And wheresoever he takes him, he tears him, he foams, he gnashes the teeth, he pineth away. I spake uh, to the disciples they should cast him out, and they couldn't do it. Hey, this is a guy out of the crowd. My, my son's in trouble. Don't worry about the fancy words, gnashing the teeth and all that. Uh, you think that it doesn't exclude us in our day. I know people right now here in this service and here in this broadcast or however you may hear the word of God preach that their children absolutely are in a position. They know they're absolutely in torment over and over and they're broken over that. And Jesus is dealing with the very same thing. One man that says, I brought my son. My son's been in a lot of trouble. He's, I'm, I'm concerned for him. I'm broken over this. And look at here what happens. And, and notice the, ho the whole time we're reading this, the reaction of Christ. And they brought unto him, and when he saw him, the spirit tore him. He fell on the ground, wallowed, foaming. Wallowed, foaming. Maybe you say, I've never seen anyone wallow and foam. No, but I see stuff that look worse than that in our day. I've seen some lives that look worse than that. I see a bad spirit, a spirit contrary to Christ that is not submitted to God, look worse than that. 
I'd rather see some wallowing foam than some of what I see today. Verse 21, he asked the father, how long has it been that he's come into him? And he said, of a child. He's been this way. He's been kind of tormented since he's little. And oftentimes he cast him into the fire, into the water uh, to destroy him. And that's the focus of that, was that wanted to destroy his son. And this father knows that something's trying to destroy his son. And I could take you to multitudes if we just knocked on doors around this community and ask one question, and that is, do you have a son or a daughter? Do you have a child that you feel like something's trying to destroy them? This makes it practical. You'd have a list. You'd have a list you wouldn't believe in our community. But look what he says after that. He knew that he wanted to destroy him, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. This is what the Father's saying to Jesus. Jesus said to him, this is his reaction, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, but will you help my unbelief? This is a father. This is a real father with a real son saying some real things to Jesus. And Jesus is going to react to this situation. He's already reacted to the scribes that cornered his disciples. Now he's reacting in the midst of that. A father comes out, has a son that's just totally in torment. What the father knows for sure, regardless of the symptoms of this situation, the father knows this is going to destroy my son. Whatever's going on here and why is going to destroy my son And they have all come to Christ for this answer. Now, when Jesus saw the people, verse 25, when Jesus saw the people come running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, You dumb, deaf spirit, I charge you, come out of him and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried out and rent sore and came out of him and he was dead inasmuch as many said he's dead. He looked dead when this thing came out. When Jesus rebuked this, a foul spirit. You ever been around anybody with a foul spirit? Probably have. Normally happens on the holidays. You ever notice that? Try to have a nice get together and some a foul spirit. But Jesus took him by hand, verse 27. And lifted him up, and he arose. And when he was come into the house with his disciples, the disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? He said, This kind can only come forth by nothing but prayer and fasting. Would you say with me in that last verse, Nothing but prayer and fasting. There's one word I really want to get. Would you say with me, nothing but prayer and fasting. There we go. And so in this text today, Mark chapter 9, it looks fairly simple and you could read over it and all of a sudden there you'd be. But the first thing that really began to come out off the pages was that how that the scribes and Pharisees in the beginning in verse 15 and 16 had a hold of these disciples. How does that look practical to us? I mean, they had the scribes 
were uh, in conflict with Jesus and especially also with his disciples. But, I mean, they're in a group, and the scribes have got a hold of them. Obviously, they're already trying to do some ministry. They've been following Christ for some time. They've seen a whole bunch. They've got a great intellectual knowledge, probably. They've, I mean, don't you think that in our culture today, if we're not careful, we think if we've seen it, then we know how to do it? It's kind of like, you know, I've been to church. So I think I could deal with this. And I'm sure the disciples felt that way. And they, they probably, it doesn't give us a, a, a reliable uh, understanding of what they were going through when they first faced off with this man. But obviously this man willing to come forward in front of Jesus is, while, while he's actually disputing. Do you notice that? Jesus comes up and he's like, hey, what are you questioning my disciples for? What do you got a hold of them for? It'd be the equivalent to all five of my children being cornered somewhere over something I taught them. And I would walk up and say, hey, why do you have my children cornered for? I'm their father. Ask me. That's what Jesus basically did. Why do you have my disciples over here in the corner, scribes? You're trying to tear them up. And immediately this man jumps out. Hey, I'm here with my son. My son is in a bad way, basically is what he's saying. And... But you know he had to do this with the disciples because later in the, in the chapter we see that something happened they couldn't do that Jesus could. And this is a reaction of Christ to this situation. And so I want to ask you just in a very practical way, when you go to work, do you ever feel like the scribes have got you, you know, cornered? Maybe you go to school. Maybe you've got family members or friends that just aren't believers. It seems like you're always cornered in this unbelief. They're trying to get at what you believe or don't believe. I mean, you're kind of feeling cornered. Isn't it nice to know that Christ could walk in and say, Hey, what are you doing with my disciple? I mean, there are times I really wish he literally did that. But then those are also moments that we get to go back home, search the Scriptures for ourselves and see if it's so, and let God quicken us by the Holy Spirit and give us an understanding and know how to give them an answer, give an answer to every man for the reason of the hope that lies within you. There's a reason that, that they were going out and being unsettled. And, and let's continue to look at the passage of Scripture as Christ is beginning to react to the situation. And what He's doing here is not just abandoning them originally. Throughout the Gospel, Jesus is a multiplier. He knows that He's going to go to the cross, die, and when He is raised from the dead and ascends to the Father, there's going to be 11 of these men left that He's now teaching, and 11 of them are going to be responsible for spreading the gospel throughout the whole world. This is why He gave them the Great Commission. Go ye into all the world. Teach them everything I've taught you to observe. And then baptize them. I mean, this is the Great Commission. But Jesus is getting them ready for this. The father knew in verse 22 that whatever this was that the disciples couldn't deal with and he couldn't deal with, it was going to destroy his child. I don't know about you, but when my children have the flu, it affects my whole day. Let alone knowing that a bad, foul spirit, any spirit contrary to Jesus Christ, is the spirit of Antichrist. And I would say it is a foul spirit. Anyone in that posture is subject to the natural uh, fruit of the heart, which is just devastating. Obviously, this child 
had this foul spirit. You could get in a lot of discussion about what you think he had. The truth of it is, the father knew it would destroy his son. And we live in a day also where you may have friends or co-workers or uh, the members here at church that you know one of your children is absolutely in the way. You are concerned. This is on you night after night after night. And, and maybe you found yourself in a situation knowing you can't help this, that they've been this way from a child. And this is where the father's at. The child... He said, how long has he been this way? He said, since he's a child, and I know something's going to destroy him. But here's what he says in the midst. And this is where the conversation begins to change. He has a situation where his son is knowingly going to be destroyed as far as the, the father's confession goes. But look at what his response to Christ is first. Will you just have compassion on us and help us? Now, I'm not sure that What he's saying here, because there's more being said there than it looks like on these pages. Will you just have compassion? I mean, I've heard uh, and seen people take a situation in their life and look at it and maybe come to me as a minister and not really ask that God would deliver and do something, but kind of say, you know, will you just kind of have pity on us? I, I mean... We could sidestep the scripture and get intellectually comfortable and just say, you know what, Uh, this bad thing's happening and I just kind of want you to feel bad for what we've got going. Will you have compassion? And there's another way, there's a lot of ways to look at this. Knowing that the compassion of Christ was always to heal, he may have very well been placing his faith in God. That, hey, I know that you've had compassion on the multitude and others, and if you have compassion on us, it could totally heal us. So I'm I'm not trying to just corner this in one theological spot. But I am trying to say there are times in our life where we have a devastating situation, but we're we're more willing to just ask for the compassion or even the pity of others rather than to stand on the Word of God and get in this vulnerable position where we say, I I believe. I believe this. I believe God can do this. I believe Jesus Christ can do this. Are you with me? It's easy to kind of... You could drum up all kinds of support no matter where you go for someone to feel sorry for a given situation. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have compassion and others shouldn't be feeling sorry for us. I am saying today the reaction of Christ to this was not just to have pity on it. The reaction of Jesus Christ was not in His compassion was to absolutely bring a difference because we read Isaiah 61 where He said, I'm anointed. Like Jesus stood in the temple and the first thing He preached was Isaiah 61. He stood up and He read out of Isaiah and He said to them, concerning Himself, Jesus Christ, the Son of God in the flesh said, The Spirit of the Lord God has anointed me. Not me as a preacher. Christ. Christ. So why wouldn't we believe that in this situation, He wants to take care of this? And how come in our situations in our life, we're more willing to let down that guard and say, oh, maybe He doesn't want to deal with my situation. Maybe I couldn't really get where God wants me to be so He can heal and touch me. No, I want us to get absolutely dangerous with our faith. The kind of faith that makes your friend uncomfortable. I mean the kind of faith that just reads the Bible as if you've never been to theological school or a seminary that put preachers to bed intellectually that try to woo them in a 70 degree temperature of whatever it may be to get them sleepy enough where they quit preaching the truth. I'm asking you to get so dangerous that like a child you would read the red letters of the Bible. And as my pastor said I served under before I got here, he said, read the red letters and pray for power. That's what we do. 
He said, Lord, I believe. But will you help my unbelief? I feel that way sometimes. Do you? Have you thought to a degree, I believe that something can help my son? But on another side, I'm spotting some real unbelief. Why is it that we can't just read the the scripture that happened, the reaction of Christ, and just go embrace it? What is it that gets between us reading it, knowing it, and then actually doing it? What's between that? What is the missing link? And today, I've, uh, I've come a long way around the mountain to get to really where I want to be, and we're about out of time. But the man wants to have the kind of faith that helps his son. Who wouldn't? He said, Lord, I believe, but I want you to help my unbelief. And Jesus didn't say, well, I don't know if I can. He didn't do that. He immediately, I'll help your unbelief. You want to get your unbelief dealt with and get some more faith in Christ? Start laying it at the foot of Jesus Christ. I mean, just one movement. Now, do you think, let me ask you. I know I'm getting all excited today because we've seen this going on in these weeks here at the church. We're seeing this with our eyes, church. This isn't an idea. We are literally seeing God's arm at work among the body. Do you think this man had trouble with as much unbelief after this as he did before it? You want to really be fruitful, just lay it at the foot of Christ. How am I going to do that? What's the difference here? I mean, the, the, the disciples were with him the whole way. And, and, and would you listen for just a moment to see what they had been in the midst of chronologically? If I went in reverse in Scripture, I did this yesterday chronologically, not chapter by chapter, chronologically to see where they had been and what they had seen before they got to this situation. And I will do it quickly, but please hear this attentively. This would be as though you walked with Christ for so many years in the earth. You would have seen this before you got to this situation. Well, they seen someone healed that was blind. In Luke 10, they seen the 70 cent. In John 8, the woman taken in adultery. Mark 9, the son of the father was cleansed. They seen transfiguration, healing of the blind man, feeding the 4,000. They seen Jesus on uh, Matthew 14, walk on the water, literally walking on the storm of their life. I mean, walking while they're in a boat, troubles breaking out. Who is that over there? That's Jesus. What's he doing? Walking on the water. I mean, at first they didn't know who it was, but it's like, Lord, is that you? Yeah, I'm walking on your storm is what I'm doing. That's what Jesus does when we get in the posture where we actually believe the Word. And all of the disciples had seen Him. Like, have you seen Jesus walk on the water? They did. They literally seen it. And then what you have next is He heals two blind men. He he raises the daughter of Jairus from the dead in Matthew 9. Matthew 8, He steals the storm with His own voice. He then washes, they get to watch a woman wash the feet of Jesus with her tears and her hair drying it off. They watch this. Last but not least, the Sermon on the Mount. Do you know I backed up from Luke 1? Do you know why I did that? Because out of all the things they had seen up to Luke 11 verse 1, there's one thing that hadn't happened yet. They'd never asked Jesus to teach them how to do any of that. They didn't say, Jesus, teach me how to walk on water. They didn't say, Jesus, teach me how to preach a sermon on the mount. 
They didn't say, Jesus, teach us how to heal a blind man. They didn't say, Jesus, teach us how to raise someone from the dead. They never once asked. But in Luke chapter 11, verse 1, the disciples say, Lord, will you teach us to pray? And the difference was the prayer made in secret to God who rewards you openly. I say to America today and to the church here at Riverton, the difference of the power of our prayer and the power in our lives is the place of prayer. We have more tapes, more books, more preaching, more internet, more iPad, more radio stuff, but we don't have the place of prayer established in our life where God hears in secret, rewards openly the believer so that the believer knows, according to First Peter, that if you pray this way and your prayers are answered, you know God heard you. And so we wander around in the dark wondering why we're confused whether God hears us when we're not praying in secret. After all of that, Luke 1 Chapter 11, verse 1, they said, Lord, would you teach us to pray? And he said, this is what you say. Our Father, who art in heaven, holy is your name. Thy kingdom come, Lord. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's how he wants you to start your prayer. God, you're so holy. Will you do here what you do there? And when I pray, can you cause something between to make this come together? And now we get to the final verses that I looked at and I looked at the 28th verse and they said, Lord, why could we not do this? Why could we not cast this bad, foul spirit? We were over there. I mean, can you imagine if it's like our day? I'll bet you'd sit over there and say, I'm a Baptist. I don't know why this isn't working out. You might have the next one say, I'm a Pentecostal. I don't know why this isn't working out. But nonetheless, it doesn't tell us the conversation they had. But I guarantee you something was going on. Can you imagine 12 men looking at one another? Well, the man comes forward, says, my son's in big trouble. I've seen Jesus do this. You're the disciples. Why don't you do it? Were they saying, hey, uh, Ronnie, you got any ideas on this? Like, well, try this. I don't know what happened. It doesn't tell us. But I know whatever happened, nothing happened. Whatever was going on in that arena, nothing happened. Nothing happened. Because Jesus pulls up and says, what are you all doing hassling my disciples? I'll bet the scribes were making some real fun of the church. Saying, hey, your church is powerless. Hey, guess what? I don't care if you're Pentecostal or Baptist, what you are. You're all powerless. I bet that's what the scribes were saying, something close to it. That Jesus, he's a, why are you following him, right? I mean, after all, there's the man, there's his son. Y'all aren't getting anything done. You're powerless. So they get him back there and they said, Lord, why can we not cast this thing out? And then he reads in the 29th verse, he said unto them, this kind can come forth by nothing. Nothing, 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 nothing but prayer and fasting. Why, after all they had seen, Jesus walking on the water and doing all the mighty miracles, why did they not ask to be able to do that? But why, after a time in prayer, did the disciples say, teach us how to pray. What was it about prayer that would cause everything to change? What was it about the prayer and the fasting that made the difference? 
What was it about prayer that caused God to be able to get in this situation where without prayer and fasting there was no movement? I think about what we've been doing this week. We built a new prayer room a couple of years ago at the house. And it was, quite honestly, it was, uh, I was in a pattern of praying in the milk barn. And it was always just easier to go to the milk barn and get on a three-legged milk stool. Oh, I prayed driving down the road in the shower and all of those things. But it was something different about when I would just really need the help of God and to pray in secret for somebody, I would just go to the milk barn. But a few years ago, we built a little closet in the house, and we never finished it. But this week, we've been finishing the prayer room. And as you walk in now, there's countless scriptures all over the prayer room. And one, uh, Matthew 6, 6, on one side that my wife wrote yesterday was, go into your closet and pray in secret, and the God that hears you in secret will reward you openly. And there's a list of names you can't imagine. Your names are in there. And I know that it makes a difference, and this text is teaching us the difference that the disciples ask in this situation, the reaction to Christ. There was one thing he was into that obviously they weren't accomplishing. He said fasting and prayer. Nothing, nothing replaces your prayer life. Thanks for listening to today's broadcast. If you would like to learn more about our church, we would love to hear from you. Our telephone number is 620-848-3347. Or you may write to us at Post Office Box 400, Riverton, Kansas 66770. Our website is rivertonfbc.com and you can check us out on Facebook. The church is located two blocks north of the Quick Stop or one block south of Community Bank and Trust, then one block west or one block east on Bluebird Lane. Our worship services are Sunday mornings at 1045 and Wednesday nights at 7. We also invite you to attend our small group Bible studies for children, youth, and adults. On behalf of Brother Aaron Williams and the entire congregation at FBCR, this is downtown Keith Brown inviting you to join us again next Sunday morning for another exciting message from God's Word. Have a great week and God bless.